Welcome back, folks, to the Get a Grip on Light Lighting podcast. On today's show, we have Mark Vahayan. He's going to tell you a lot of his titles in a second. He's got a lot of things going on there. But before we do, we just want to take this time to tell you about our trade association that has sponsored these podcasts, and that's the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. Go to NAILD.org, Greg. Check them out. It's got it right here on our hats, too. Oh, <laughs> nice and easy. <laughs> How's it going, Mark Vahayan? Thank you very well. Thanks for having me on your show. Thank you for being a guest. Tell us, first of all, you were, you mentioned to me there before we started recording that you have three titles for three different companies. Why don't you lay that out for the listeners? So I'm the president of Panasonic Lighting Americas, which is the holding company for all Panasonic lighting activities in North America. Um, the two subsidiary companies underneath that umbrella are Universal Lighting Technologies and Douglas Lighting Controls, uh, and I'm the president and CEO of both of those companies. And just out of curiosity, how does how does Panasonic and Universal differ? I don't think Panasonic's in the U.S., is that right? So Panasonic uh, is, is a big corporation and has many activities in the U.S., but Panasonic acquired Universal Lighting Technologies uh, back in 2007. Sorry, I should I meant lighting. There is no Panasonic lighting in North no, America. No. Okay. We we go to market under the brands of uh, Universal uh, Lighting Controls, uh, ULT and Douglas Lighting Controls for uh, uh for the controls business. Got it. So you you've got three different companies that you're responsible for. Right. Okay, and you guys have manufacturing where? Or where, where do you so manufacture? Our, manufacturing, our main manufacturing is in Mexico. Uh, it's a maquiladora uh, on the border in uh, Matamoros, Mexico, across the border from Brownsville, Texas. Uh, we have a, a manufacture a facility in Huntsville, Alabama, where we do some manufacturing as well. Okay. And go you ahead, go ahead, Greg. No, you go oh, ahead. I was going to say, have you have you noticed any? production issues with in Mexico or anything different in Mexico than in Alabama? Um, well, we it's going through phases, as you can imagine. It's a very fast-moving uh, scenario that we're going through. We The first we sort of got involved with this whole COVID thing was, of course, the concerns around China. We do not have manufacturing in China, but like many electronics manufacturers, we do have supply chain of electronic components, uh, capacitors and things like that from China. So when we heard around, around Chinese New Year about the issues there, we were sort of looking at our supply chain and, and sort of wondering how long that would affect us. Uh, then, of course, as things spread, um, you know, we looked at, at other facilities and you know, first priority, keeping our people safe, right? What do we have to do? So... Um, Part of that guidance came from Panasonic globally. We shut down international travel uh, right at the end of uh, February. Um, then, you know, as things develop, we send people home early March uh, before the shutdowns happened. Anyone who could work from home was given that option. And then, you know, things develop from there. As far as manufacturing is concerned and keeping operations open, the key was this whole question, are we an essential business or not, as the shutdown started to happen. And, uh, you know, we got a lot of guidance, uh, legal guidance and support from some of the ind industry associations to, to help us make that decision. Um, Mexico has been, uh, has taken longer. They actually just announced their shutdown 
on Tuesday. Um, so Mexico has just implemented a nationwide shutdown, but in the same way as in the US, uh, certain businesses have been uh, declared essential. Uh, and so there's a scramble on at the moment. We believe we fall into that category because the categories are very similar to what we're seeing in the US. So we're assuming at the moment, but uh, also there's a scramble to get clear legal advice. Uh, do we fall into that category or not? Okay, so you're following your legal advice and you're you're following the, you know, what's in the beginning was somewhat unclear. Now states and provinces and, and that are coming out with you know, guidelines and of who is essential and who's not. Outside of all that, if we put that aside, do you think lighting is an essential business? I, I do. I'm a little biased, of course, having been in lighting for nearly 30 years, but I do. I mean, if you think what would the world be like without lighting, I mean, lighting is a, is a security. It, it makes us feel good. Um, and in these uncertain times, I think lighting is really important. I mean, the the thing that would really hurt us, you know, in North America is if the utilities were not able to supply electricity and the lights went out. Just imagine everyone locked up at home without, without lights or facilities. So I do believe it is. Obviously, there are sectors that are more important day-to-day -day right now than other sectors. So you know, their, you know, entertainment lighting right now is probably not as important as uh, general lighting in hospitals, right? There's, mm -hmm. there's some clear cases or grocery stores or the places that we have to go to now. So there are definitely differences, but in general, I'd say lighting, it'd be hard to imagine life without lighting now. Uh, Panasonic being a global conglomerate, um, we've spoken to, um, you know, and it's, I, I guess it's also publicly traded in Japan and New York. Correct. So we haven't spoken to anybody that uh, lists their shares on the stock market as yet with respect to this leadership uh, series. And we haven't spoken to anybody that has that uh, global basket of brands like a Panasonic would. How does the leadership, like it, it, this is in crisis, you need leaders. How did it become... Um, a leadership issue. When did it become a, you told me when it became a leadership issue, but how did the leadership decisions start to get made? Did it start at the top at Panasonic? Did it start at the, you know, the lower level with your North American operations speaking to them? How did that go, that go down? It's very interesting. And, and, you know, this is a new situation for all of us, but at Panasonic, we have some very, very clear guidelines around compliance and things that we are allowed to do and not allowed to do, we need to get approval for and not. They're, they're very, very strict guidelines around that. Um, but those guidelines, for the most part, didn't apply in this situation. They're mostly around, you know, anti-bribery and corruption and all those sort of things that normal public listed companies have. This case was was different because it's it's even though it's a global issue, it hit different regions at different areas. So um, when it was just a supply chain issue, it was my, my problem with my team for our uh, area of the company. As soon as it became a North American issue, um, really the first guidance is given by Panasonic North America, who are headquartered in New Jersey. It's an umbrella organization for all Panasonic activities in North America. And we actually had the CEO 
visiting us in the first week. It was a, a standard planned visit. But during that visit, we got to talk about, you know, actions, what preparations are we making, what's necessary. So things like the global travel ban for international travel, that, that came from Panasonic North America. That wasn't my decision. That was a Panasonic North America decision. Um, other, other activities we're coordinating very strongly with Panasonic North America. We're, we're, we've got legal support from them to check in on things. But in the end, my staff, my team is my responsibility. And as long as I'm following uh, the general guidelines that are given, and of course, those are, you know, leaning heavily on authorities like CDC and those mm -hmm. kind of organizations. As long as we're doing that, um, we, we have a lot of autonomy. Uh, our first task is keep our people safe, avoid disruptions, uh, try and keep the operations open. And if that doesn't work for any reason, sure, we report back, we let them know what's happening. Um, and we, uh, we, we share notes. Are there ways that we could be doing things better? So there are daily calls with all of the Panasonic organizations in North America comparing notes, but the situations vary. Not all of them can, can, are really essential businesses. So um, things change all the time. Do you, have you had a lot of conversations with your CFO about the, the outlook? Oh, ab absolutely. So uh, there are daily conversations with actually the whole of my ex executive team. We have a bi-weekly executive team meeting, but daily individual where we're trying to collect information. Um, so the f we're, we're sort of through almost through the phase of, you know, keeping our operations going. We, we're confident in our supply chain. Uh, we're, you know, Barring things that can change, um, we're confident that we can continue to supply our customers. The big question is, how long is the demand going to be there? Hmm. Right, the demand is the is the thing that's not under our control at the moment, and so we're getting forecasts in from our sales team. We're feeding that in. We're modeling from the financials. Um, of course, we're looking at profitability, but like every company. Um, Cash flow is is key. Um, we are part of a, a strong organization, a financially strong organization. So I don't have to look at a one week or a two week perspective, but I do not, of course, need to look at a two month, three month perspective and uh, work out what do we have to do to make sure that when this problem is over, um, you know, we're able to get back up and running as quickly as possible. What is your realistic best case scenario? Best case scenario. That's an interesting one. Best case scenario, I believe, and you know, I've been through a couple of these things. I was based in Singapore in the SARS crisis in 2003, which was nothing like this, but uh, similar kind of scenario planning. I, I'd say we're looking at two to three months before we are able to really loosen things up. Uh, I'd say two months Best case scenario, domestically, things loosen up. Uh, internationally, I'd say it's going to take longer because there's lag. Different countries are, are sort of reaching the peak at different times. Um, but, you know, we, we're saying the first quarter and our first quarter started on the 1st of April. 
So okay. we're saying our first quarter, the next three months are going to be really tough. We are hopeful uh, that the second quarter is going to start to get back to normal. What's your realistic worst case scenario? Well, the worst case scenario is that things just take longer and longer than, you know, and, and it becomes a six month issue or that we, we're not tough enough on ourselves and, uh, and, you know, start releasing things before the problem solved and it comes back again and becomes a recurring problem. So what, what timing problem is, is that? everything. Is, is that problem the actual virus or is it like the leftover fear and panic and social mayhem created by the virus? I, I think it's the second. Uh, I, I think people right now, they're, they're hunkering down. It's interesting. This is, this is a war, but it's a war where there is nobody in this world is the enemy. It, <laughs> it's all of us against the enemy. We're, we're being besieged. And so everyone's hunkering down. Everyone's doing the best they can. They're doing uh, what they can. But the big difference is we, we believe there's light at the end of the tunnel. We believe that the measures that are being taken that the, are going to solve the issue and that we can then go back to normal life. If, we, if that belief evaporates, right? If that, you know, if, if we, we sort of get over it and then it comes back again, that will cause huge social problems because that belief is what we're all hanging on to. There's, it's an interesting, you know, the, the worst case scenarios are, um, you know, it's sort of raising a dark curtain, Mark. You know, you, you, you can imagine some of the things that would happen. Um, what, do you, what do you guys, in terms of working from home and layoffs, has there been, if you don't mind, has there been a lot of layoffs within the, your group of companies? No, we've had no, no layoffs at all in, in our lighting business that, that I'm responsible for. And that's really where I have the, the best visibility. So all of our administrative staff and anyone who can do their job from home, including customer service, they're all working from home. And, and that's working pretty well. It's really only engineering and assembly manufacturing activities that obviously have to be in the facilities. And there we're taking all precautions we can to keep them safe, um, social distancing, etc. What What kind of precautions are there? Are you altering schedules? Are you changing less people working? What kind of things do you have to do at production? So, yeah, of course, with the people who can be home, there are less people in the facility. Uh, we're staggering shifts uh, to keep less people in the facility at a, at a specific time. Uh, we're having groups who work together stay together. Um, so they're not sort of, uh, you know, if we have a problem in a group that it's, it's restrained to that group. So general things and a lot of cleaning, of course, every shift, every, you know, every, every piece of equipment that's being touched regularly is being sanitized and clean. Um, you know, in accordance, we're having, uh, temperature, uh, testing done. Um, and we're, Sort of talking about uh, having people wear masks at the moment. It seemed that's an area that the medical profession haven't yet sort of agreed on. So again, we're we're not medical experts. We're following the advice and trying to react as quickly as we can to the advice that's given us. I assume that delays production to some degree because of all the extra steps you have to take. <laughs> Absolutely, um, but you know, demand is and will continue to go down as well. Mark, Universal Lighting has a long history in this business. They've been around a long time. And, you know, right now we've seen, 
you know, we haven't, uh, we haven't, we've seen from leaders speaking. You spoke about UNLVT, you spoke about Panasonic and Douglas. What do you have to say to the industry as a whole? Well, this is a, this is a strange situation. We're all in this together, right? I mean, we, we compete day to day, but, uh, you know, it's, it's our industry associations. It's the areas that, that represent us as a whole that are the most helpful at the moment. And I really have to give a shout out to, you know, NEMA, NEMRA, NALD with your organization. Um, these organizations are really, um, you know, worth their salt right now where they're, they're helping us with information about what's going on um, and uh, tremendously valuable. So, you know, our organization, you know, lighting will be required. Whether the lighting world will be the same after this crisis, that remains to be seen. Um, I've heard, you know, I think we're at the end of a product, the LED product revolution. We're, we're getting back to basics and it's now coming down to service, reliability, warranty, these things that used to be really important but sort of got thrown out in the out of the window as we were chasing prices down um, with a new technology. Technology is reaching a certain saturation point, certainly on the basic provision of light. Um, the new normal is going to be, you know, controls, sensors. How do these get integrated into lighting products? Easy installation, good service. Those are the things that will be our new normal, I believe. And we, we have to see uh, which companies are able to succeed in that new world. Hmm. Mark Vahayan, did I pronounce the last name right? That's perfect. Thank you for being a guest on the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thanks to Mark Vahayan from, uh, well, he told you what is he's got Douglas Controls, uh, Panasonic North America, UNLVT. He's the CEO, president of all those things. He's in charge, and he's uh, optimistic. I would say, Greg, or practical. Actually, is probably a better term. I think practical is the right term, and that's that's one of my favorite terms because I feel that's how you're supposed to be in situations like this. And I think they're taking the right approach to it. Yeah, you know, he wasn't passionate. He was. He was practical in his approach, mm-hmm. and he was saying, Breaking this is what down. we're doing. Yeah, we're following the guidelines set out by the CDC. We're following the guidelines set out by Panasonic North America, and we're going to get through this. Yep. And, you know, that, that's a that's a realistic message at this point where we are right now. It's, you know, hunker down, drive through it, let's get through it, and we'll move on. Folks, this has been brought to you by the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. Mark said it. It's at times like these that your association comes through for you. And Greg and I are working every day to talk to the vendors and distributors in our, in our association to get the message out of what's going on, what people are doing, what the scenarios are, and all that sort of stuff. So we thank you for listening, and we thank Mark Fahayan for coming on the show.